Welcome to Studio of the Future. 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 Our guests today are from the Austin nonprofit Truth Be Told, which offers programs designed by women for incarcerated women. Offering storytelling, writing, and healing arts, Truth Be Told helps women break free from the imprisoning cycle of past trauma and abuse. These various programs also reduce stigma and reentry barriers for ex-incarcerated women. One of the unique programs includes inviting outside women from the arts community, dancers, poets, musicians, to perform inside the prisons in which I've been honored to participate. By treating incarcerated women as unique and valuable human beings, these women begin to value themselves and gain the courage and tenacity to make better choices in life. I'd like to welcome Katie Ford, Executive Director of Truth Be Told, Carol Wade, one of the three original founders, and Lisa Davis-Bell, a formerly incarcerated woman at the Lockhart, Texas prison, who is now training to become a facilitator, so she returns within the walls to teach other incarcerated women. Thank you all so much for being here today to share your passion about Truth Be Told. Could you tell us what led to the creation of Truth Be Told 18 years ago? Well, it all started with one woman who was um, went into prison to fulfill her guilt, to hopefully let go of some of the guilt that she had, that she wasn't doing things in the world that she felt were what was uh, the Bible verse says, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner. And so um, she felt like visiting the prisoner would be the thing that she could do to help support her need to help others. And who was this woman? Nathalie Sorrell. So Nathalie Sorrell went into the prison uh, in February of 2000, and uh, she invited me in in April of 2000 to share my story of recovery. And so Nathalie and I worked together for two years, and uh, she was training me to be the first facilitator in training. And then uh, Suzanne Armistead came in to join us. And in, so in 2002, the three of us started offering programs at Lockhart. And in 2003, we, we became a nonprofit called Truth Be Told. But we've been offering programs since February of 2000. That is amazing. And Katie, can you tell us how you became executive director of Truth Be Told? I'd be happy to. So back in, let's see, it was eight years ago, I was mentoring children of incarcerated parents through another program here in Austin. And I was at a mentor training when I actually met a program graduate, a truth be told program graduate. Her name is Rutanya. And she was there at the training, basically as a person with lived experience, explaining the importance of of having a mentor in your child's life when you're incarcerated. I was a journalist at the time, so of course I was naturally curious. And I went up to Rutanya afterwards, asked about, you know, more of her story. Um, And I also asked about this program called Truth Be Told that she had graduated from that she said changed her life. And she told me about that Truth Be Told has graduations at the prison where you can volunteer your time to be a respectful witness and celebrate the women who are graduating from the program. And so I took her up on her invitation I went into the prison, admittedly with a bias, a personal bias against the women who were graduating because for the last couple of years, I'd been mentoring their children. And I had a bias that, you know, who are these women who have been leading their lives in such a way that they're getting themselves incarcerated? However... When I sat in that gymnasium and I listened to these women tell their stories of what they believe put them on a path to prison, 
it opened up a door, a window in my heart for compassion because what I saw in that grown woman was the little girl that had fallen through the cracks, the same little girls that I was mentoring in the program. And I realized that this is a much bigger issue than I had had realized. And what I also heard in those women's stories was hope, a desire to do differently, a desire to, to be a different woman moving forward in life. And I thought, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what Truth Be Told is doing. And so I, I ended up training to become a facilitator of their Talk To Me program, the, the program in which the women learn to tell the stories of what they believe put them on a path to prison. And very quickly, it became the most important thing I was doing with my life, volunteering for Truth Be Told on Thursday nights. So I started thinking of how can I turn what I do as a volunteer for Truth Be Told on Thursday nights into what I what I'm doing for a living because because it was very clear to me that I wanted to be a part of of these women and and their their recovery from past trauma and abuse and helping hold space for them to heal and I left a almost 20-year career in journalism back in January of 2017, looking for a way to jump into these spaces of criminal justice reform while still volunteering for Truth Be Told. And I found a curriculum called Healing Trauma written by a doctor in, in California um, that I wanted to bring to the prison in Lockhart, the women's prison in Lockhart. And I essentially raised money to support myself while launching that program at the Lockhart unit. And it was in the midst of that program launch that the Truth Be Told board approached me and asked if I would become their executive director. So here I am one year in being executive director of Truth Be Told. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about the programs. Can you talk more about what they are and what they offer to these women? Sure. So we offer nine different programs across five correctional facilities, women's correctional facilities in Central Texas. And all of these programs were designed because they were answering a specific need of what we were seeing in the classroom of what the women needed. Our signature curriculum, our longest running curriculum is called Talk to Me. And that's the the program that I just mentioned, helping the women write or helping the women share the story of what they believe put them on a path to prison. It's a very deep introspective dive into their whole life. We have a structured process where they create a lifeline and they look at both the life experiences they have had that have affected the way they're showing up in the world, the way they see themselves, the way they see other people, and also the choices and decisions they made along the way that now in hindsight, they can look back and say, yes, this this was a turning point in my life and it led me to where I sit today. Can I ask, so these women, is this the first time they've had the opportunity to write about their life and is it difficult for them? Yes. So... You know, this is something that I think I, it took me several semesters of facilitating this class to really trust the process and realize that the beginning of a woman's healing journey can actually be this simple. The very act of learning to own one's life story, to not be ashamed of it anymore, to not run from it anymore, to be able to say, yes, this happened to me and I did this. 
and to have the courage to own it. It's like the best-selling author Brene Brown says something to the effect of only when we own our stories are we empowered to write the ending. And I'm watching, we facilitators watch that process happen in the classroom every semester. And not only just being able to reflect on your life that way and own your story, but it's healing for the listeners too. So the women and who are sitting alongside this, you know, listening to their peers tell the story of what they believe led them to prison, they're recognizing themselves and the, the other women's stories and connecting with the, the things that have happened to them. So many of these women, the majority, the alarming majority, are speaking to past trauma and abuse mm. that happened in their childhood. Mm. That really was the tipping point that changed the trajectory of a little girl's life. And so to be able to speak to that darkest hour and realize that not only did it not hurt you to talk about that, but you have women who are being able to gain healing because they now realize they're not alone and that they have a community, a safe community where they have women right there in that circle that understand what they've been through and they're not alone anymore. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly healing. Mm -hmm. So this program is one of several, how many programs in total? And, and can you tell a little bit more about each of those programs? Sure. So we have, we have nine programs. We have a Let's Get Real program that is more kind of a life skills program, helping women prepare for reentry. We do consider all of our programs reentry program because the way Truth Be Told views reentry is that truly if, if we're doing the correctional system right, preparing a person for successful reentry into society should begin on day one of a person's prison sentence. Mm -hmm. But Let's Get Real is more about life skills. It's more about goal setting, anger management, and things of that nature. But we also have a monthly exploring creativity workshop where we have artists from the community come inside and share their craft or their creativity with women and give them a hands-on experience. Uh, because we as an organization believe that the expressive arts are a fantastic, healthy tool for women to explore their feelings and emotions and to, and to hone their voices and find their voices and their creativity. The Healing Trauma Program that I started last year is now officially a Truth Be Told program. We have a Beyond Bars program. So when the women are released from prison or jail, they can stay in touch with Truth Be Told. We have a weekly conference call, kind of like a check-in a check-in call for 45 minutes for where the women have a safe community of other graduates who, who live all over Texas, mm -hmm. where they can check in with other women who are also rebuilding their lives after incarceration. And together they can celebrate their victories and hold each other up during setbacks because mm -hmm. there's certainly a lot of obstacles they're mm -hmm. facing as when they're, when they're outside again. Um, we have a private Facebook group where the women can stay in touch. And then we also have something we call the Quilt Project, which is really sweet. I would love for Carol to talk oh, about yeah. the quilt project. Mm -hmm. Carol, you want to say a little bit about that? And, and I love that Carol's sitting here with a quilt on her lap as mm -hmm. she's about to tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, in, in my lap is a quilt number 64 going to Lori Mellinger. And the quilt project was started by my mom in 2003. 
One of our graduates had reached her three-year mark, and mom often dreams about quilts. She dreams about her designs, and other. she has amazing dreams. Anyway, she decided that she wanted to offer something to this woman named Terry, who was celebrating her three years of release from prison. And so that started the quilt project. And now, so there's, like I said, this is quilt number 64, and hopefully this will be carried on through the legacy of the women really look forward to receiving this quilt to honor that three-year mark, mm-hmm. the three-year mark of, of beating the odds, the statistics that mm-hmm. they made it of not going back to prison. You know, that would be really marvelous if you could get all 64 quilts and have a, a showing of them, Absolutely. you know, at the Bob Bullock or something, mm-hmm. to not only share what Truth Be Told is about, but to that's 64 lives that you all have affected. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure the quilts are all very individual, just like the women are. Everyone is individual. As my mom said, there's a hug in every stitch and every quilt is unique, just like every woman who receives them. Mm-hmm. I, re- I do want to give a plug for my dad. Oh, yeah, my dad, your dad. This is so women-centric <laughs> right now, but yeah, let's get a dad. My dad retired in 2008 <laughs> and uh, he... He just was going to help mom like one day. And mm-hmm. so now they make these quilts together. That oh. these, This is a joint effort. As a matter of fact, the tag, tag says made by Doyle and Peggy. Oh. And so, and, and I also want to say my mom has made hundreds of quilts. This mm-hmm. is like her way of giving back and offering love to others. It's amazing how one organization just continues to reach into other lives and, and change and affirm lives. On so many levels. On your website, it talks about there's 12,508 women in the Texas prison system right now. Is that correct? Can you discuss the statistics that affect these women and lead to incarceration? Yeah. So something that a lot of people are not aware of, although it is really starting to be uh, a collective conversation and uh, statewide conversations about criminal justice reform, but also in, across the nation. I mean, if you have people like Oprah talking about incarcerated women or justice-involved women, you know it's a thing. <laughs> but what a lot of people don't understand is that uh, women are the fastest growing segment of our incarcerated population. Here in the United States, we incarcerate 2.3 million individuals. Uh, we're a heavily incarcerated nation. What, how I like to say it is, as a society, we are addicted to incarceration. That mm. is our our uh, knee-jerk response when somebody harms the community is is to incarcerate the individual. From where we stand, at truth be told, uh, we see a lot of times that's that's severely flawed logic. When you have a hurt person who is hurting others, um, when we're not asking why are you hurting and and addressing that core hurt, we're actually causing more harm. Mm-hmm. But to speak to the incarcerated women, and they're the fastest growing population. They have, I believe that the number is something like the number of women behind bars has increased 834% since 1978. A lot of people will point to the uh, drug laws, zero tolerance drug laws of the 80s and the 90s, which to that uh, statistic. And and that's true. That's true. However, if you look more closely at the the women's lives, it is a technical violation, a drug charge that is getting them involved in the criminal justice system. But if you listen to that woman's story and ask her why she was involved in drug activity, why she was living in addiction, why she was involved in an abusive relationship with a drug dealer, which so many of them are, Mm -hmm. what you'll hear is past trauma and 
abuse, a woman living in addiction because she's masking the pain of past uh, trauma and abuse. So what you see when you look at the incarcerated women population is highly elevated rates of uh, histories of interpersonal violence, controlled substance abuse, and histories of sexual and physical abuse. Mm -hmm. There are statistics that say anywhere from 75 to 82% of women behind bars have a history of sexual or physical abuse before they were uh, 18 years old. I'll say, and I think that uh, Carol would agree uh, after listening to stories for 18 years, that that's closer to 95%. It's the exception when a woman in the classroom set, uh, does not speak to any kind of physical or sexual abuse in her childhood. With all these women being incarcerated, and I'm assuming many of them are mothers, does that lead to future incarceration of their children how is and I'm going to I'm going to ask Lisa that do you have children Lisa Yes I have one son Oh and while you were in prison your son was living with um he was living with family members mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel like that's affected your son and have you healed your relationship Oh yes like he that's uh, my only child he was 14 and I get emotional about it <laughs> And um, well, he was 13 going on 14. And so, of course, he didn't know about what mommy was doing or the troubles that I was in. And so when I was taken away and, you know, in jail and then gone to prison, well, he, he suffered because he didn't know, like, you know, what was going on or what was happening or things like that. And so because he was such a mama's boy, <laughs> he put on this brave front to get through his life and you know, I know what I was taught. I'm, you know, I'm going to get through this. I mean, so by the grace of God and family members that were out there um, and friends, he was able to complete high school and to graduate, to get a four-year scholarship, to play football, and then also received his degree. But it was hard. And he lets Mm -hmm. me know that, you know, it was tough because we're mama and no one can replace that. Mm -hmm. But, and he, he had his hardships And I used to tell him all the time, son, please let me know, like, if you're embarrassed to come and see me or embarrassed to let your friends know, yeah, my mom's in prison. And I said, just let me know, like, because I want to be there for you. I want to let you know that I am okay. It's like, no, mom, I'm okay. I'm okay. But then there were some signs and things that I was seeing that he wasn't okay with as far as me being incarcerated. There were things that were coming up for him mentally became very angry. And I believe that it was towards me because he has been very outspoken about it. Like, mom, if you just had said something or it was the shock of it all that, wow, my mother's. And that's what's learned me here today that, you know, I'm just open about everything. I'm no longer ashamed or prideful to Mm -hmm. say, hey, help, I'm drowning. I need this. I need that. Mm -hmm. And so, and that was a lesson learned. That was one of my lessons that I learned as far as going to prison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, I read a statistic they uh, published once that said that when a child has a a parent incarcerated, Mm -hmm. their chances of being incarcerated at some point in their lifetime raises or escalates to 70%. So -hmm. there really is a generational cycle happening Mm -hmm. uh, between parents and children. 
I also have heard that when you educate a woman, you educate a family and you educate a community. So there's this amazing ripple effect when these incarcerated mothers, but there are over 70% of the women in the prisons where we have programs are mothers. Mm -hmm. So when you hold safe space for those mothers to heal from past trauma and abuse and you give them the tools of community building Mm -hmm. and caring for self, um, when you offer space for her to really believe in the depths of her bones, her personal worth, it has a ripple effect in the way she's showing up for herself and the decisions she's making and the way she shows up for her family and the way she shows up for her community. Mm -hmm. Is there a program where, and I'm not sure how often your son was able to come visit you, was there some kind of writing program between mothers and their children? I think I'm mostly, because he he's so advanced um, at 13, he's just like this whiz. And so I sent him the address, write me anytime that you want to. I think it was more so me that um, did not want him to see me incarcerated because I was embarrassed about it. But you also didn't want to lose contact with him. Didn't want to lose contact with him. And have him feel like you weren't caring even though you were. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, just write, um, let me, anytime that you want to write, just you know, let mama know. I also um, learned from truth be told is that I had to remain the mom, remain the parent. And that, yes, let your kids come and see you so that they can know that you're okay. Mm -hmm. Like it's not okay to be in the situation that I was in, but to let them know that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And that's what he needed. And that's what I needed as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you were released, what kind of reunion did you have with your son? When I was released, it was like, I I know a lot of people, he just had so many supporters. They were like, this is the first time that we have seen him smile in three years and nine months, that 26 days that I was incarcerated. Mm. And so I missed, of course, all of his high school, but I was able to uh, make it home a week prior to him graduating from high school and I'm able to see him go off to college and to to be there for the college. So it was phenomenal. Like it was, they had all these parties, graduation parties <laughs> planned and everything. And so to see him like mm-hmm. really just drop to his knees and cry that, oh, my mom is finally home because it's kind of hard when you're trying to make parole and um, you don't know. You can't tell them, hey, I'll be home this mm-hmm. day because you don't know. And so you don't want to give them that false hope. But he actually found out before me, that mama had made parole and that I was coming wow. home. So he, he came to visit him. That's what I liked about being at Lockhart. I know that sounds weird. <laughs> but hey, I was incarcerated. But that at 17, they're able to come on their own. Wow. And so he was able to come and he was he had been to prom that night. So he came in a tux and whatever. And he was like, <laughs> mom, all aggressive. Did you know that you're coming home? And you didn't tell me. And I was like, oh. I, I said I made it and he was like, Yes and I was just like oh, I cried and the the people that were in the um, visitation they were like clapping and you know like and I was like, Oh my gosh I said, I didn't know and he was like, Yes, mama, you're coming home so Wow, what a beautiful gift, too. Yes. I'm sure for him to realize that he gave you something, he yes. gave you the good news. Yes. It must did. have been really empowering for him yes. that I have something to give you, mom, that's yes. gonna help you in the situation. Yes. Yes. Okay, we're all crying now. <laughs> I need some I need some truth be told or studio of the future Kleenex made. I don't know why they're not here, but <laughs> any listener out there that wants to support getting some tissues made, we are all for that. So how does truth be told fill a service gap in the correctional system? 
because yeah. I, I, I don't know of any other organizations like this. And is this something that could become a national trend? You know, if you think about it, the, our, our correctional system is a system that was designed by men with for men, because women are the minority behind bars. We're the fastest growing segment, but we are the minority. And so uh, women are being led into a system that was designed with primarily men in mind. And so there has been a growing body of evidence showing that more what they're calling gender responsive programs and policies and culture inside women's facilities, uh, gender responsive meaning programs designed by women for women. Well, that's precisely what Truth Be Told has been offering for 18 years. And so uh, we feel like we can fill this this service gap in the correctional system. We do have uh, hopes and desires to make our curriculum more readily available to more women's facilities across Texas and who knows, maybe across the nation. So that's that's where we dare to dream. (laughs) Lisa, let's go back to you for a second. How did you first come to know about Truth Be Told? I first came to know about Truth Be Told when I was incarcerated at Lockhart. I had made it from the um, bigger unit, which is Gatesville. I believe it was 2005 or 2006. And so I was in the dorm and they put up um, different flyers and posters of uh, different classes and things that are coming up. So I was like to myself, like I didn't like deal with <laughs> other inmates at that point because you just don't know. And so uh, when and I... And when you say you weren't dealing with other inmates in terms like you weren't making friendships or you... Wasn't making right. friendships because of the, you know, the stigma, the things that I've heard about, mm-hmm. you know, when you if you make a friend or something, they are going to want to expect something else. So ah, I just okay. stayed to myself because mm-hmm. at one point I was a peer educator that um, educated the women that were newly coming into prison about safe prisons and things like that. So because I knew that and was teaching that, and had witnessed that, I just mostly stayed to myself. And that was before Truth Be Told. That was before uh-huh. Truth okay. Be Told. And then so when I did see the flyer, it was like building community, trust, things like that. The wordings that it had, I was like, you know, let me try Truth Be Told. So it was nothing that was like, well, I'm just going to go and take this class because or just to get out of the dorm. <laughs> I, it was <laughs> yeah. it was a flyer that catches your attention. And when you're looking at it, you're like, hey, I'm let me let me you know, put in for the classes. You had yeah. to do a, I think it was a lay-in that you had to fill out. And they only took a certain amount of uh, women per class. Mm-hmm. And so um, I signed up and was able to get in. So that's how I... And what was your reaction to that first class? Um, my first class is, um, then it was called Talk to Me Circle. And we all got like the desk were in a circle. And first we went through orientation, I believe. And you had to pick which one, like each facilitator would get up and speak about their particular class. Mm-hmm. So you would just pick which one. And what drew me to Talk To Me Circle was Carol. <laughs> the way she explained it or whatever, I was just like, oh, she reminds me of my mom. And I miss my mother. And so I was like, that's how I um, ended up in Talk To Me Circle. And then when I we actually um, formed the class and all the, the women that were going to be in that particular class, we were all in a circle and desk and just the structure of the class itself and then what um, was explained to us and what was going to be expected of us. And that's, I just was like, wow, I'm going to like this class. Mm-hmm. And now you're a facilitator? Yes. And what does that entail? Oh, man. To, <laughs> it, it was just so, it was a very emotional day for me to enter a place that I had was entering through the front door and I had always went through the back 
<laughs> oh, well, well, let's explain that. So yes. you became a facilitator after you were released from prison. After I was released from and prison. And so when you say coming in the front door, mm-hmm. you're meaning returning to prison returning to, be a to prison uh-huh. yes free and physically and <laughs> free mentally mm-hmm. and so um just going through those doors i had anxiety just all different thoughts were going on and i was like really aware of my surroundings just aware hyper aware mm-hmm. of things and i was just trying to take everything in because i was like wow this is what it feels like to come back through the front doors. Mm -hmm. Also, I was just real excited about getting my story out there and letting the women see me. I have been incarcerated. So I have been literally sitting where you women are sitting now. And so when they look at that, they were like in awe, like to see their faces when Katie, you know, first said, and we have Lisa and they were just like in awe, like, Mm -hmm. wow. Like, I can, too, someday be a facilitator. There's hope for me. There's a purpose for me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's a purpose. And that's what we all want. When you're incarcerated and when you're in there, of course, the officer's jobs are not to make us feel like, hey, you're somebody. They will say, you're nobody. You'll be back. We'll leave the light on, that type of stuff. Uh So your self-esteem, if it's already low, which (laughs) I'm sure it is, you know, because of physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse, they just knock you down even lower. So when you do have a class like Truth Be Told and there's no non-judging, just mm-hmm. everyone is just a big community, a big family. And then you have you do have someone that was formerly incarcerated that comes and stands in front of these women and like, wow, like she made it. Like even though we are told this and that and that, no, I am somebody. Yeah. I'm I'm worth something. You know, my my family does love me, mm-hmm. and and that and though all of those type of things, like it's so many things, like I could just go on and on and mm-hmm. on. But it was just phenomenal. It was just emotional. It was just. Mm-hmm. I I remember texting um, Carol and telling her I said I cannot it, like this is something that I have to tell you in person. Uh-huh. <laughs> the way I felt, I said it was just it's unexplainable. Mm-hmm. But I could just see the looks on the women's faces and like the many questions that they want to ask. So I try to make myself like approachable, not like I'm just, oh yeah, I got out of prison and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all them. That. That, yeah, yeah, they're my family. And yeah. that's one thing that I remember telling Katie as well, that I'm remaining humble and not to get ahead of myself and not to just think that I have arrived because I have not, I have to take each day at a time to have my steps ordered. Um, so I am able to give back in the correct way and that I'm not giving off like different signals like, oh, well, we could do this, but this will happen. No, you have to put in the work um, and you have to do that before you step out of prison. And that's what I did through the hard work through Truth Be Told. If it had not been for Truth Be Told to tell me, hey, you did do something that led you to prison. You just don't know what it is right now. But These are the tools that I'm going to give you so you can go back through your timeline and then you're going to figure it out. And that's what happened because I really was in prison thinking, no, nothing in my childhood (laughs) led me to prison (laughs) because I, you know, didn't have that bad childhood past or, you know, was in trouble, whatever. But the things that I suffered through, the verbal abuse, um, mental abuse, um, uh, I, I like to call it my wins mm-hmm. and my wins. And I was an old tree and my wins were like knocking me down, knocking me down. And I was um, putting on this mask of I can get through this because of my um, the generational beliefs. 
Mm-hmm. And I was totally drowning. But and when you say gener- generational beliefs, what do you mean by that? Like the trauma that I've suffered through my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had a very, very stoic grandmother that was very strong that her beliefs were embedded in us. And so her beliefs became our beliefs. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if something very traumatic as far as losing a child, like I did, and die two days later, cry, get over it, you can have more kids, it's okay. That was her message to you. Mm-hmm. And So just, you weren't really allowed to grieve over the loss of this child? Mm-hmm. No counseling whatsoever. Um, um, so be- that was one of the the stops along your way that affected you. Exactly. And had you been able to understand, it's all right for me to grieve, it's all right for me to ask questions and to sit around the house and just mourn. Mm-hmm. But since you didn't get that, that was another period in your life, right? That I had to just, you know, suffer through it silently mm-hmm. and keep moving along and just show this mask of mm. strength and, hey, I'm okay and I can get through it. And so those are those. So as a, so as a facilitator, what I'm, I'm understanding is you, you all make a timeline basically for these women to go through their life in a timeline and say, this affected you here, this affected you here, and here's some resources to help you. Um, work through those problems back then now so that you won't carry those out into the world when you leave prison, correct? And and I want to just add, you know, one of the unique things about uh, Truth Be Told is that the facilitators also share their stories. So we're not a, we're not a community of women that just come in to offer and guide a process. We're also doing the process along with them. Mm-hmm. And that really helps to take away some of the fears of like this person might not understand where I'm coming, you know, where I've been. And because that's what led me to stay in prison is I went in, like I said, in 2000 to share my story of recovery. Mm -hmm. And what I met was women that were more like me than the women on the other side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to keep going is because that I really felt a community there of women that were doing the hard work from the challenges and the mistakes and the regrets um, of healing. And I'm sure the guilt and the shame, you know, I think all women have guilt and shame at some level, but um, to be an incarcerated woman and add that into all these other emotions that you've already carried has got to be just a heavy, heavy knapsack on your back, right? Yeah, very um, heavy load because you, um, it's it, when it's already, you're just shameful and you're embarrassed and it's already hard to forgive yourself. Well, then you have all the other, the other added things that, well, you should be feeling like that because you get that from um, the officers that are there. Or mm-hmm. if you have one that comes in that had a very bad day, well, they're going to take it out on you. So it's really hard to come from that. I used to um, let Carol and Katie know that I looked forward to Thursdays. Like that was my um, standing at the door ready. They didn't like, you know, not trying to grab something or say, okay, the door's getting ready to close. You're going to miss your class. No, have my things out in the day room. I'm ready for them to call out, um, truth be told, because that was like my safe haven. Mm-hmm. And that's where I could go and just just feel safe, feel like I was somebody just chipping away every day at just old stuff. I'm um, not every day, but on Thursdays, mainly helping me to heal, to chip away at things that I couldn't forgive myself for. And they're there saying, and no, it's okay. And I'm sure they also exposed to you some things you weren't even aware of yes. that you were carrying. Yes. Right. So that's really empowering to all of a sudden be told, well, have you looked at this mm-hmm. as something that was a marker in your life that made you feel bad? Yes. Yeah. I was um, holding a lot of unforgiveness 
I, I just um, let Katie know that that I said I'm just I just realized that I was holding unforgiveness um, for a particular person. I won't say her name, but I was able to forgive, and then that just um, released like even more mm-hmm. um, from me. And that's why I said that every day is um, even though I'm you know free mentally and physically, but every day it's it's a work. Even when you're when you're out, you just mm-hmm. every day you have to work hard at trying to do the right things and trying to remain free. Um, because if we do want to be around our children and our family, that was my main goal. It's just to to get out, to stay out, to use the tools that was given to me and just to stay involved to give that back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Carol spoke to how even the facilitators are doing the work. You know, we're also writing our stories. Mm-hmm. So we we write to a metaphorical prison, whatever is imprisoning in our hearts or mm-hmm. our minds and keeping us from being the the woman we were, our truest versions of ourselves, the woman we were born to be. I think that's what is so transformative about Truth Be Told's work is that, um, you know, we're a community of women healing, doing this healing work, this emotional heavy lifting side by side. It just so happens that some of us are incarcerated and some of us are free. Mm-hmm. Um one of the other programs you have that I was blessed to be a part of several times is you bring outside artists, musicians, and dancers. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the people that have come in? Because when you first asked me, I'm I'm sorry. Um, I didn't really understand the impact it would have. Um, first of all, just going into the prison is always rather terrifying, you know, because they're checking you out and you have to get them a driver's license. You can't have this and you can't have that. And then you get into the prison and depending, depending on the one you're in, how the women are treated is really mind blowing. Um, one of the prisons, and I, I apologize, I'm not sure which one it was. Um, the women had to come in and they were all called by number. They weren't even called by their names. And then they would sit down in a chair and then there'd be an empty chair. And then there'd be a chair with a woman and an empty chair. They couldn't even sit next to each other. And I was told, you know, you can't hug the women. You can't touch them. And I'm a very physical person. That was really difficult. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how that program came to be? Because I, it really changed my heart in some ways, like you were talking about earlier, Katie, you know, I think we watch Orange is the New Black, or we see these these TV shows about prison, and we think women are inherently bad. That's why they're incarcerated. Um, or these particular women, not all women. Um, and And being of service to women who are incarcerated is very moving, because you do. You see yourself as you're telling your own story to these women. And then, in my case, I'd tell a story, and I would sing a song. But I was telling deeply emotional and sometimes abusive things that had happened to me. So that program is called Our Miracles in Human Form. Uh, and it's our only program that we do that's once a year that is um, offering a performance. It's it's not a class, but it's a performance. of We bring in singers and dancers and poets, slam poets, and we bring in graduates of our program to offer stories of, of hope and recovery. And it's a, it's around an hour and a half to two hour program. That's um, and you know the unit that I facilitate at is called Lane Murray, and there's close to fourteen hundred women there. And usually they only let a hundred and fifty women come, so they only choose from each dorm. And it is it is a time of hope and delight 
and uh, people being able to give back, and, and it's inspirational. And the women are not allowed to stand up and dance or move mm-hmm. around, but it's still, it's like a, you you often see women, you know, really crying and celebrating, mm-hmm. and there's so much you can do with your without touch. There's mm-hmm. so much that you can convey with love and care mm-hmm. in that way. So, Sarah, thank you for the, the years that you've been coming in to offer song and hope and inspiration and, and stories of your own. Own journey because that's very important. That's one of the things that Truth Be Told I think is so unique about is that we we all have challenges in our life and you're not alone. Yeah, it's not just a group of women coming in and like you were alluding to, Lisa, it's not women coming in and teaching per se right. and being uh, separate from women. It's coming and saying, I'm like you, we're parallel. We might have different journeys, but we have things to share that can strengthen and we can build bonds on. Yeah, I'm remembering when you uh, when you came actually to the Hilltop unit and you were sharing about how the song that you wrote is going to be all right and, and how that was written. And that was so moving. There were literally, there was people crying, but no movement because everyone was holding you as you were holding them with your message. I'm still waiting for those tissues to arrive. Um, <laughs> uh, I know nonprofits have a really difficult time, and I know in our culture, uh, people don't want to spend money on prison programs, which has always stunned me, uh, because if you don't, then you have a recidivism rate, and it makes no sense to me. So I know that nonprofits have a hard time raising funding. So can you talk about something that's coming up or ways we could help support Truth Be Told? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, it costs us roughly um, for for operating nine programs across five correctional facilities in Central Texas, plus having a Beyond Bars program. Um, our operating costs are about one hundred fifty four thousand a year, which um, which is a drop in the bucket when you think about how much money we're we're uh, paying as a state to incarcerate um, people to warehouse people. Do you know? Do you know the comparative comparative to that in terms of tax dollars? Like how much do we spend in tax dollars? Right. So we did we did a study of 15 years worth of TDCJ data on um, women who have graduated from the Truth Be Told program. And what we found is that our recidivism rate is lower than the state's rate uh, uh, when it comes to women's, women's uh, recidivism. So we're doing a better job than the state is. And, um, and even though it was only a 2% difference when you actually, um, you quantified how many women remained free in that 2%. And then you look at the daily cost of incarcerating a person in Texas, truth be told, actually saved the state of Texas almost a million dollars over a three-year period. Wow. So um, so what we're doing is effective, um, and we are a nonprofit, so we, we um, always need help with our operating costs. Um, we just so happen to be um, launching an online fundraising and storytelling campaign. We have 10 outstanding, amazing women who have graduated from Truth Be Told programs who are now back in the community, and they have become the change that they want to see in the world. So every day for 10 days, we're going to be highlighting this woman's story. Imagine it sort of like a Humans of New York, but it's a focus on uh, formerly incarcerated women women who have become the change they want to see in the world. So we're going to be pushing their stories through social media and inviting people um, to, 
to give to our organization. We have a lovely uh, longtime supporters, uh, Robert and Peggy Miser out of Houston, who have um, issued a challenge. They are willing to match dollar for dollar up to $10,000. So we're calling this campaign 10,000 in 10 days. And we have 10 amazing stories that we're going to tell between September 15th and Mm -hmm. September 25th. And if you donate to our organization during that 10 day period, your gift will double dollar for dollar. Um, you can visit our website, which is truthbetold.org with hyphens between every word. So it's truth-be-told.org. <laughs> and you'll see a link on our homepage to 10,010 days. Perfect. I have one last question. And thank you. This has been such an emotional interview and you've all given so much and I'm I'm, it's an honor to be sitting here with you. My last question is, we ask every um, guest on the podcast, and I've never had three guests at once, do you have a question you'd like to ask of someone else? And then I will try to get that person on the podcast to answer your question. It would be really cool to like have uh, maybe Lisa's son to uh, be interviewed mm-hmm. about what it's like to have her mom be part of a program, what it was like to grow up with a mom incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that when once we're released and that if there was some way that each, I'm not, I don't like to call them inmates, but right. the women that were released and could, you know, make that call to Truth Be Told and to stay in touch with Truth Be Told, that they can make it past that three-year mark, that they state that if we make it past that, then there's a good chance that, you know, that we will not return to prison. But when you put your hope in something, and I love to tell them on Lockhart Ladies, there's a page, be ye prisoners of hope. And when you are hoping, you can have hope and it's okay. It's okay to smile in prison. I told the ladies that (laughs) at the orientation because they were like this. It's okay to smile in prison. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be happy. Mm -hmm. We, We all go through things. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. I know that they can make it. I know that they can stay out of prison. I know that they can have the tools that they need um, to take care of their kids, to get jobs, to, you know, um, to be able to break that cycle of incarceration um, far as our, because I know that my son, because of what, what I went through and because of what I learned with Truth Be Told and the tools that they gave me and the life that I'm living now and being involved, being a change maker, that he won't step a foot in prison. Mm-hmm. And he's a black male. Mm-hmm. So he has it harder. He's already broke the barriers of his degree and making it through while mommy was incarcerated. Thanks for tuning in to Studio of the Future. I'm your host, Sarah Hickman. Our guests today were members of Truth Be Told. You can hear and see bonus content at studiofthefuture.org. Thanks to Marty Lester for engineering, mixing, and editing at Everywhere Audio in Austin, Texas. We'd like to thank the Peaceful Pelican of Palacios, Texas, for being a supporter of today's program. This historical three-story waterfront bed and breakfast is right on the bay, including spectacular views, homemade breakfasts, and a comfy place to relax. Mention this ad and you'll receive 20% off your first booking. Visit them at thepeacefulpelican.com. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open.